Chapter Fifteen of A Man of Honor by George Carey Eggleston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen Some Very Unreasonable Conduct. Quite naturally, Robert was elated as he stood there bareheaded and received the congratulations of his companions, who had now come up and gathered around him loudest among them was foggy who leaping from his horse cried out by jove mr pagebrook i must shake your hand i never saw prettier riding in my life and i've seen some good riding too in my time but where's your horse did you turn him loose when you jumped off this served to remind robert of the animal and of harrison too and going hastily into the thicket he found the doctor repairing his girth, which had been broken in the fall. The doctor was not hurt, nor was his horse injured in any way, but the black colt which had carried Robert so gallantly lay dead upon the ground. An examination showed that in falling he had broken his neck. It was not far that our young friend had to walk to reach Shirley, but a weariness which he had not felt before crept over him as he walked. His head ached sorely, and as the excitement died away it was succeeded by a numbness of despondency, the like of which he had never known before. He had declined to ride and tie with Billy, thinking the task a small one to walk through by a woods path to the house, while Billy followed the main road. With his first feeling of despondency came bitter mortification at the thought that he had allowed so small a thing as a fox chase to so excite him. The exertion had been well enough, but he felt that the object in view during the latter half of the chase, namely the defeat of young Harrison, was one wholly unworthy of him, and the color came to his cheek as he thought of the energy he had wasted on so small an undertaking. Then he remembered the gallant animal sacrificed in the blind struggle for mere victory, and he could hardly force the tears back as the thought came to him in full force that the nostrils which had quivered with excitement so short a time since would snuff the air no more forever. He felt guilty, almost of murder, and savagely rejoiced to know that the death of the horse would entail a pecuniary loss upon himself which would in some sense avenge the wrong done to the noble brute. The numbness and weariness oppressed him so that he sat down at the root of a tree and remained there in a state of half-unconsciousness until Billy came from the house to look for him. Arrived at the house, he went immediately to bed and into a fever which prostrated him for nearly a week, during which time he was not allowed to talk much. In point of fact, he was not inclined to talk at all, except to Cousin Sudi, who moved quietly in and out of the room as occasion required, and came to sit by his bedside frequently, after Billy and Colonel Barksdale quitted home again to attend court in another of the adjoining counties, as they did as soon as Robert's physician pronounced him out of danger. At first, Cousin Sudie was disposed to enforce the doctor's orders in regard to silence, but she soon discovered, quick-witted girl that she was, 
that her talking soothed and quieted the patient, and so she talked to him in a soft, quiet voice, securing, by violating the doctor's injunction, precisely the result which the injunction was intended to secure. As soon as the fever quitted him, Robert began to recover very rapidly, but he was greatly troubled about the still unpaid-for horse. Now he knew perfectly well that Cousin Sudie had no money at command, and he ought to have known that it was a very unreasonable proceeding upon his part to consult her in the matter. But love laughs at logic as well as at locksmiths, and so our logical young man very illogically concluded that the best thing to do in the premises was to consult Cousin Sudie. "'I am in trouble, Cousin Sudie,' said he, as he sat with her in the parlor one evening. "'About that horse. I know Mr. Winger is a poor man, and I ought to pay him at once. But the truth is, I have hardly any money with me and there is no bank nearer than Richmond at which to get a draft cashed. "'You have money enough, then, somewhere?' asked Cousin Sudie. "'Oh, yes. I have money in bank in Philadelphia. But Winger has already sent me a note asking immediate payment, and telling me he is sorely pressed for money, and I dislike exceedingly to ask his forbearance even for a week under the circumstances.' "'Why can't you get Cousin Edwin to cash a check for you?' asked the business-like little woman. "'He always has money, and will do it gladly, I know.' "'That had not occurred to me, but it is a good suggestion. "'If you will lend me your writing desk, I will write, and—' "'Ah, there comes Cousin Edwin now, and Ewing, too, to see you,' said Miss Sudie, hearing their voices in the porch. The visitors came into the parlor, and after a little while Sudie withdrew, intent upon some household matter. Ewing followed her. Robert spoke frankly of his wish to pay Winger promptly, and asked, "'Can you cash my check on Philadelphia for me, Cousin Edwin, for three hundred dollars? Don't think of doing it, pray, if it is not perfectly convenient.' "'Oh, it isn't inconvenient at all,' said Major Pagebrook. "'I have more money at home than I like to keep there, and I can let you have the amount and send your check to the bank in Richmond and have it credited to me quite as well as not. In fact, I'd rather do it than not, as it'll save expressage on money.' Accordingly, Robert drew a check for three hundred dollars on his bankers in Philadelphia, making it payable to Major Pagebrook, and that gentleman undertook to pay the amount that evening to Winger. Shortly after this business matter had been settled, Ewing and Miss Sudie returned to the parlor, and the callers took their departure. Robert and Sudie sat silent for some time watching the flicker of the fire, for the days were cool now and fires were necessary to indoor comfort. How long their silence might have continued, but for an interruption, I do not know. But an interruption came in the breaking of the forestick, which had burned in two. A broken reverie may sometimes be resumed, but a pair of broken reveries never are. 
had mr robert been alone he would have rearranged the fire and then sat down to his thoughts again as it was he rearranged the fire and then began to talk with miss sudie i am glad to get that business off my hands it worried me he said so am i said his companion very glad indeed there must have been something in her tone as there was certainly nothing in her words which led mr pagebrook to think that this young lady's remark had an unexpressed meaning back of it he therefore questioned her why cousin sudie had it been troubling you too no but it would have done so i reckon i do not understand you surely you never doubted that i would pay for the horse did you no indeed but what is it cousin sudie tell me what there is in your mind i shall feel hurt if you do not i ought not to tell you but i must now or you will imagine uncomfortable things i know why mr winger wrote you that note you know why there was some reason then besides his need of money he was not pressed for the money at all that wasn't the reason you surprise me cousin sudie pray tell me what you know and how well promise me first that you won't get yourself into any trouble about it no i have no right to exact a blind promise but do don't get into trouble that detestable man foggy raves made mr winger uneasy about the money he told him you were hard up and couldn't pay if you wanted to and i'm glad you have paid him and i'm glad you beat charlie harrison in the fox chase too with this utterly inconsequent conclusion cousin sudie commenced rocking violently in her chair how do you know all this cousin sudie asked robert ewing told me this evening i'd rather you'd have killed a dozen horses than to have had charlie harrison beat you why cousin sudie oh he's at the bottom of all this he always is foggy is his mouthpiece and then he told aunt catherine the day you went to the oaks that he meant to have some fun when he got you into a fox hunt on winger's colt he said you'd find out how much your handsome city riding school style was worth when you got on a horse you were afraid of i'm so glad you beat him now it would seem that cousin sudie's rejoicing must have been of a singular sort as she very unreasonably burst into tears while in the very act of declaring herself glad mr robert pagebrook was wholly unused to the task of soothing a woman in tears it was his habit under all circumstances to do the thing proper to be done but of what the proper thing was for a man to do or say to a woman in tears without apparent cause mr robert pagebrook had not the faintest conception and so he very unreasonably proceeded to take her hand in his and to tell her that he loved her a fact which he himself just then discovered for the first time before he could add a word to the blunt declaration 
Dick thrust his black head into the doorway with the announcement, "'Supper's ready, Miss Sudie.'" End of chapter 15